Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Welcome back to the podcast. It is I, Grognard the Young, the Young Grognard, kicking it to you live with an episode of the Beckons of the Herald of Steel campaign with the adventure, the Herald, and the quest, the present. Truly a gift it is. Uh, in the last episode, our party woke up in a very chilly, chilly scenario on ice, as it were, where they met with Titiri, Saracillus. I mean, did we ever say the gender? It was a woman. That's Mama. 100%. You did. Don't yeah. worry. I, yeah. For a second, I was like, wait a minute. Did I ever lay down that detail? Did I ever identify a gender of a dragon? Anyway, point is, you guys woke up on ice and then uh, had a very interesting discussion about owing fealty to a thing that's, you know, 20 times larger than you. Somehow, by the end of the conversation, Anton had managed to uh, persuade the dragon into uh, being not only good pals, but also to join the good fight as adventurers do. Uh, Anton really misses Glory Wake. That's kind of pretty well established. Party found a cave. They teleport home. The party return back to Enton to see how things have gone. Find that not only have the people of Glory Wake and the orcs of Gorgareth reached their destination, but Glory Wake has been smushed underfoot. Uh, and the orcs are restless. The people of Glory Wake are happy to see the saint. The dwarves are happy to see the saint. The dwarves are happy to see Mr. Norhill. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. Turns out Margay and Starbreeze and Shereel, uh, they, uh, all kind of went on a, uh, bit of a joyride, venturing far to the north to the castle, figuring that party not arriving, uh, maybe was a sign that the future was kind of, uh, bleak, hoping to quench or quell, 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 quell. That's a word that sounds like a word, uh, to stop. There you go. That's a word we all like. To stop the queen, they decided they were going to jump in, take their hand at it, but nobody has seen uh, the party return. And for that reason, our party meet up with the council, the complete council, find that the king of Azkabellum is nowhere to be found. Instead, he's been chilling in his room, dealing with emotional damage. Um, and instead, the steward is in his place. Steward, super weird, super sketch. Uh, and the party... I guess, go their separate ways to do a little bit of recapping around the city. But most importantly, Kalika found a way into a wall, realized that uh, that old Doom cheat code of no clipping was pretty sweet, except you don't really get much out of it. And instead, you find out that the steward is very aware of things traveling through Rocky Wall. Uh, and I believe we ended the last episode with Kalika saying no. Um, 
So if you want to just pick up the dialogue from that point when uh, the steward basically told you to fuck off and you said, no. It's really, uh, pretty sure Shakespeare actually wrote that originally. I think that was in um, Midsummer Night's Dream. No, no, no. I think I was walking away from the steward after they had been super condescending to her and they just said like oh and you know don't try anything like that again in the future and clicked that said no as she was walking away so that conversation's done click is walking really hoping that could continue yeah you know out of all the conversations click has been in um okay so i suppose at this point since everybody's had their opportunity to do a bit of chit chatting around um I suppose it'd probably be uh, the evening at this point, once everybody's finished talking with everybody they have to. Uh, and it seems that the quest at hand is to go find Kaliskai, the uh, Queen Garavar, the succubus there, uh, and deal with this issue themselves. Uh, I believe we quoted off air that we're going to uh, besiege a city by ourselves. And somebody said that's kind of what always happens. So I suppose... <laughs> we can get to the party reconvening with what they'd learned in their separate little conversations. Uh, I imagine the party will probably be meeting up at the uh, tavern, which uh, I can't remember. What was it, Anthony, that you named the tavern? What was it? The uh, Succubusy? Is that, the, the, is that the, what you the, officially the, named the it? The Demon's Bane, we decided. Right. Because we didn't actually remember what it was. It wasn't important. They didn't remember it's, either. It's, it's canon now, and I'm going to remember that for years to come, the Demon's Bane. You know, I think Norhill might have been drunk when he named it, and nobody really knew what he said when he was slurring. And so they're like, right. I mean, you know, it Good. did happen right after he shook off whatever horrific thing the, the queen was trying to do to him. So right mind, maybe but, not all there. I mean, luckily, she's not going to try to do that twice. Luckily, uh, luckily now I don't have an ability <laughs> that I can uh, that that gives me a second shot. Again, I suppose it's evening and the party reconvene at the tavern. I don't know how you guys would like to reconvene, but I know Jarzak was busy tooling on the uh, orc grunts and showing them why you're in charge. So I'm sure that was exhausting in its own right. If it's not super late, Klika might go see that painter now. Well, I don't okay. know the next time I'm going to be in Quarrydale. How mad would you be if I said he died? That's he fine. never finished. <laughs> that's the kind of uh, that's the kind of uh, gameplay everybody loves. Um, okay, so yeah, we'll say you kind of sneak over there and you find the relatively nice home out there in one of the uh, far northern districts in the city of Enton. Uh, and once you enter the place, uh, you can see that the uh, old lady, her uh, his wife, greets you warmly and is very surprised to see you, but has already very clearly heard word of you guys being back here in Enton. And she mentions that her husband has been downstairs continually working on the painting nearly nonstop, and she kind of chuckles about it as if, like, you know, the old husband-wife thing of like, man, I never see him anymore. He's so busy down there. And she, he's just like, yeah, I love my vacation in my basement. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's just a literal war taking place. <laughs> anyway, leave it to an artist. Um, yeah, click old head down to his workshop. Okay. So go see what's up. 
Very well. So once you go downstairs, you can see you kind of startle the guy as he's standing down there, but he hears you coming down. Um, he turns around, he greets you uh, pretty warmly as well, um, by name. And what you can see behind him on the wall, the large mural that is, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think about how actually big this is. Cause I feel like in, in life, when we think of paintings, we always imagine them being way bigger than they actually are. So it's like, this is probably like six feet wide and that itself is immense. Right. So you can tell why he's not finished with it even now. Um, but very clearly, it has the party, as well as the extended friends of the party, uh, even Starbreeze. Um, but yeah, so he shows this to you. It looks, uh, for all intents and purposes, I mean, it looks immaculate. Again, it's not complete, but like, it's beautiful rendering. Probably brings a little tear to Kleeka's eye. Yeah, I mean, uh, if it's not done yet, Kleeka will just... Walk up and just uh, admire how good it looks so far. Um, I'm really glad that you're okay and that you're still able to find time to work on this with everything that's been going on. Well, with that, he says, well, I'm definitely too old to be contributing much up there. And I figure as long as I can do something to boost the morale of well, your party, I suppose I can do just that. Well, um, Kleeka and her friends are going to be going away again for a while, but hopefully next time we're all in town, we'll all be here and can look at it together. Uh, With that, he, he grins and he says, I'm afraid unless you're going away for a long time, which I hope you're not, it probably won't even be done then. But I promise I'll I'll try my best. I think we'll give the guy a hug and head out. And with that, he says, I also was sort of curious uh, if you had any ideas for uh, a name for something like this. I, I understand that, you know, it's kind of an odd request, but looking upon this rather than simply name it after each and every one of you, I feel like something like this truly deserves a title. Even if I never get to finish it with a strange little smile, he kind of it kind of evaporates off his face with the grim realization of what's going on above, you know, the ground here. Uh, he says, if I can title it, it might be worth something someday to survivors. Yeah. Click has a name that she thinks will be pretty good. Um... It's going to be called the Companions of the Constellation. With that, he uh, sort of nods a couple times and he looks back at it and he looks back at you and he says, an interesting name. I suppose I wouldn't have thought of that. I had a couple ideas, but that one surely did not come to mind. I don't suppose I really understand what the stars have to do with it, but that's a fine enough name indeed. Well, I'm glad you don't hate it. And then Cleek heads out. He says, if you don't mind, while I have you in my company, I'd maybe like to ask you a, a, a question or, I don't know, maybe keep me company for just a short while. Yeah, Cleek can do that. And with that, he kind of just clears off a little table space next to a bunch of like paint thinner and stuff, which 
You sit down and realize he may have been huffing this all day long, and that's why it's taking so damn long. But no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, with that, he says, as he picks up his paintbrush and starts adding some little white flecks to some of the trees in the background, giving some reflective light to some waxy-looking leaves on a tree in the back, he says, you see, my grandfather actually served in the War of the Bleeding Stone. He uh, wasn't much of a fighter. Not really one in uh, one indeed, but he could hold a spear and... A lot of times, that's the best you can ask of anybody. And as he kind of gestures with his little little paintbrush here, kind of like a little miniature spear, he says, he uh, was a good man. And as he goes back to painting on the canvas here, he says, a lot of people look to goblins like yourself, and they consider them to be lesser folk. I put that as lightly as I can, but wounded in battle. And as such, he almost didn't make it back alive. See, he was besieged by a group of ogres just over the mountainous ridge. But he, uh, he met a group of goblins. And though they didn't have a common language, they took him in, they nursed his wounds, and they fed him. Kept him there for a good week or so. Now... I don't know how to say this, but when I look at you, and I'm painting your face for nearly months, it's a very strange feeling, really, to look <laughs> at you again. But I can't help but feel like I've seen you before. And in a weird sense, my grandfather had mentioned a couple of the goblins in particular who were very kind, and, well, they told him a certain word, and a word that Sort of meant a lot to him after that whole experience. You know, his own companions, the soldiers, left him behind. The goblins took him in. The word Karbok, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that word correctly, but from what he told me, it meant a kind friend or something to that effect. Either way, it was a word that I guess they said to him upon him leaving and to spend an entire couple of weeks with a group of goblins and not speaking their language seems like itself a nightmare of sorts but again I you know the point is when I look at this picture and I look at you and I think about all the strangeness in this world today I think about the kindness of a friend and I think about somebody like you and I'm sure with your great charisma as a sorceress it's what held the group of friends together click a nod so in yes, a sense yes. Yes, that's me. <laughs> he says, so, originally I considered naming this Carbach. It's simple, catchy. Probably put it on a t-shirt. But, I don't know. I suppose something circular about meeting a goblin after my father had taught me so much of the world based on his own experiences. How much it did for him as a person to be humbled in that way. I don't know. Maybe I'm just an old man rambling here, and maybe I've been drinking too much paint thinner, but at the end of the day, I look at this and I see friendship. And I see the union of people. Amroth itself is small in the grand scheme of the world, but it's family that makes a place huge, you know? It really gives life to the whole place. I mean, a desert's expansive, but it's small when you're alone. Perhaps I'm thinking too much into all of this. 
In any case, I'll be sure to title the piece. Well, um, you can name it whatever you'd like. Because Clicka thought about naming it that too, but didn't know if the feeling would come across. But I think hearing your story, maybe it will. Um, these people are because Carbach and she'll always remember them and she hopes they'll always remember her. So thank you for helping make that possible. You know, that he gives a couple of somber nods, knowing the gravity of what you're saying and the fact you're leaving soon. And with that, he just uh, sort of gives you another hug and wishes you well on your way. Um, so. If Klika doesn't come back after you finish this, um, hold on to it for a little bit. But if it doesn't seem like Klika's coming back, make sure it gets delivered to the um, Demon's Bane. They'll know what to do with it. And with that, he gives a sort of nod and he says, I, okay, maybe we'll put it up really high. I, uh, I tried to go over there for some tea the other day and not a place at the door for tea. by No, I'm realizing this slowly enough. You know, the original owners named it something god awful when they rebuilt it, and I uh I'm very glad it's under new management. I, I can't remember what it was originally called, but something about a something you know bussy. I don't know what that means, but it scares the hell out of me. <laughs> Either way, I should probably get back to this paint thinner and painting and stuff. Yeah. Do you mind if I uh, take a cup for the road? Cleek just builds up a water skit with a little paint thinner. I'm glad this is the kind of game we have. This is really wholesome. I love this. Um, <laughs> just bubes in these substances. Anyway, um, so I imagine Cleek returns to the uh, Demon's Bane. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, she, she takes a couple strong huffs on the way. You know? I... I really wish you wouldn't. <laughs> but, um, okay. So, uh, the party probably all arrive at the Demon's Bane at some point or another before the evening truly falls. Uh, so what would you guys like to do now that you're here? Norhill, uh, having already been there, will uh, greet his friends uh, warmly and with all pomp and circumstance. Does Anton come back and relax his face from the fake smile he wore all day? He comes and he looks honestly pretty weathered out. He looks pretty exhausted just taking care of that many people. Healing, summoning food, just just keeping the smile up. He just looks he's just a little bit beat. And he wanders over to the counter and just slumps his head into his hands. Good old Saint Anton. A couple people approach you for blessings. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's when Anton's just like, can't you see we're closed? <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Okay. Uh, what about Jarzak? He had a long day of beating the shit out of grunts. He 
and being a complete tool bag and like teleporting instead of fighting them for real. He's like, this is why I'm in charge. You're exhausted. I haven't just, even broke a sweat. It's just so much magical darkness. <laughs> no, no, fight me in the dark. <laughs> Get over your fears. Hey, those soldiers are prepared for anything now. Uh, All right. <laughs> Eldritch Blast just shoot out of the darkness at them. Get in here. <laughs> um, um, I Jarzex probably just gonna go grab a couple of drinks and go chill with a kick. Okay, and I imagine Kleeka just kind of shows up at some point, huffing fumes. Yeah, a bit oh, wobbly, no. slurring her words. Talked about someone was very rude to her, but she she was a real diplomat and didn't kill them. Um. Okay. So at this point, the party all sort of gather together after everything that's happened, and it's been quite a day thus far. So, I don't know if you guys want to exchange information. Yeah, Clicker will let them know about her uh, failed espionage mission. I guess. And, and then, and then, he said all that, and Klika said no, and walked away. One would have hoped that King Throne had a stronger constitution for this conflict. Well, I don't know what he's thinking or what he's planning, but hopefully it doesn't cause any more issues than we already have. Which so, I what... should say are mounting by the day. I'm not. I'm not sure whether these people are ready to break or anything. However, progress must be made in this war. People need to see us moving forward towards victory, or else the forces will not hold together long enough for us to actually win. So, with that sort of looming overhead, uh, I imagine the entire party at this point, in one way or another. Uh, begin to think to themselves about what lies, I guess, ahead of them with their quest to go back to Castle Eagleheart and deal with this issue that's been hanging out for so long. Should we... um, Do you think it would be funny if we wore the robes or the same clothes we wore to the knighting ceremony when we go (laughs) into into the town? I think that would be pretty that'd be pretty clever, right? That's that's good. Yes. I'm doing that. <laughs> These fine clothes have seen many an interesting state function. Yeah. Oh, fucked up you guys are laughing about that. Hey man. Hey, you know. You're the one who made us knights of a doomed state. Okay. Well, Norhill you... Nor never got knighted. That's what I'm saying. Norhill opted out. He was too cool for that shit. He dropped out the <laughs> yeah. day before he graduated. Yeah. He rang the bell in SEAL school. <laughs> nice. Okay. So I guess, again, sort of looming in your minds is having to come up with something of a plan for this whole situation. So I suppose my question for you guys is, what questions do you have for me about making a plan such as this? Can we try and track down the uh, brother-sister monks that 
ended up inheriting that fort by Coopersford. Or is that just like off the, completely gone? I know that's what that's like a, a little under a day's travel by carriage to the capital. Uh, or is it more from the capital? Uh, from the capital, it would be about two days ish. But that definitely would be a good place to start. The question is, uh, if those two are there. And what has happened? Yeah, I mean, just thinking because they were technically, you know, shadow assassin monks. So they infiltrated the capital once. They might be able to get us in again. But other than that, it's Clique's idea is to get close and then teleport over the wall. So... Uh, Norhill would like to know uh, what intelligence we have on the movements of the Iron Ma Maelstrom in general and what sort of forces are holding Eagleheart in specific. So the basics that you hear about what's going on in Eagleheart as far as that goes, the city itself is infested. Um, it is lousy with soldiers. It is absolutely filled to the brim, but because they function a lot more like the undead than the living, they sort of sit around latent and like waiting for orders. The city itself, sort of more horrifying than anything, the skies above Eagleheart are just like coated with like storm clouds made of just metal and shrapnel that just slowly drift overhead. There's been reports that some of those giant metal hawks that you guys had fought before on the Wave Wraith are circling around the city itself. And it's so it just seems like the place is very well inhabited by quite the uh, quite the series of armed forces. As far as what you know about the overall shape of Eagleheart and the overall like. Uh, how do I don't want to say this, the layout, I guess, of the city, um, there's two walls, there's the outer wall and then the inner wall. And beyond the inner wall is sort of that giant like cliffside, which the castle is perched upon. Um, and so getting to the castle itself would either mean circumventing both walls somehow or going straight through, but both walls have gatehouses and both walls stretch up to at least 25, if not 30 feet. So, so yeah. that leaves out the direct approach over land as well as approaching by sky via the waiver. So I think Kliga's plan for finding some stealth experts is a good one. Did we want to um, maybe dig through Starbreeze's and Shereel's and Margay's quarters, see if they had like any plans they made? Possible. Klika would like to try and trace their steps for as long as we can, maybe figure out what happened to them and if they're still out there. So with that, as an option, Caracol is more than willing to give you whatever sort of information Margay may have had, but he warns you that Margay was not really a written plan kind of halfling, and instead a lot more of a uh, flying by the seat of her pants kind of halfling. Um, so unfortunately, her end is going to be pretty dry with what sort of information you might get. Um, as far as Shereel goes, I mean, Shereel himself also wasn't much of a tactician, 
Uh, Starbreeze, as you guys know, is a very well-qualified adventuring individual. This is so it why. Seems like <laughs> you're dealing with a group God. of individuals who didn't write a lot down and didn't have a lot of planning to them. So it would, it would definitely seem that their plan was probably uh, very reflexive, unless they were very sincere. Uh, how do I want to say this? They were very secretive about how they went about this. You know what I mean? So like, either they like intentionally left no trace, or they just didn't have a plan at all. It would absolutely blow my mind if the three of them had secret conspiratorial meetings and no one found out. I mean... <laughs> Knowing that lot, it could go either way. Yeah. I watched Asking... Starbreeze die like three times. <laughs> uh, what you can gather from asking around inside the tavern, uh, it definitely sounds like they had been in here on multiple occasions at the same time. So is that to say that they had conspiratory meetings? It's like, no, not really. But it definitely seems likely that they met up quite a bit and knew who each other were. Um, from what Yig Kalith is able to tell you guys from her skulking about and everything, they definitely met and they definitely talked among themselves. So it seems like there must have been some kind of planning that went on. But, yeah. But is it just the kind of, like, drunk rambling planning over beers? Or was it actual concrete? Like, this is the route we're going to take. Here's where we're going to resupply. We'll rest on this day. Probably not. I mean, Yig Kalith, I guess the way she portrays the whole occurrence, suggests that Starbreeze may have actually been the ringleader in these discussions. Oh, man. He's the personal character, after all. From what everybody knows of Starbreeze, (laughs) after the burning down of the tavern in the first instance there, uh, he took on quite the dour expression, and Yidkala says that unfortunately it seems like he was a very broken man, and by taking on a task like this, it seemed like everybody who joined had a reason to join and had good intentions, but Starbreeze was probably out to prove something, and said that levels of determination he you know, was showing around camp and how much he was willing to help out anybody and everybody, it he wasn't being an idiot. He just was very, very much so driven. But, you know, you could be as driven as you want to, but if you're driving bald tires in a snowstorm, I mean, you, you're going in one direction and that's circles. So Starbreeze may have had the best yep. intentions, but he may be dead in a sewer somewhere. Excellent. Okay. So, it's only worried about, like, one other thing. Do we know anything yeah. about actually like killing Succubi or just anything about Succubi in the first place? Like he's just trying to wrap his brain around after obviously the first king passed. Was she always a Succubi or was there a human at the first point and they got killed and replaced? I think he's just trying to make sense of that and just how are they going to defeat her at the end of the day? Like he doesn't know if it's going to be as simple as just fucking whacking her enough she's dead or it's got to be something a little bit more complicated than that. Well, you can That's roll me concern. a religion. Somebody can roll me a religion check if they'd like to. I'd even take an Arcana sure. check, honestly. Because that's what he's like. We can get them out of there, but he's like, we got to defeat her some way. <laughs> it's got to work. I got a six on my Arcana. Hmm. I crit. 
Yeah. So I would imagine that you probably have spent a lot of time um, reading Succubi fan fiction um, <laughs> and a lot of smutty little dime store novels in your time I, as a. Uh, as I a was going to say that was, uh, just uh, just so happens to be a master demonologist, but that no. works too. Was it, was Anton? Did Anton take a vow of chastity? Because if so, that would check <laughs> out. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, but what you know of them, succubi and also incubi for whoever's keeping track at home, uh, do not function necessarily in the same way as demons or devils and operate in that weird third area, which I guess in D&D, if you want to get historic, I mean, there's been like five areas technically in fiendish because then you start talking about like demons and you talk about like the Yugoloths and all that other nonsense. So Succubi have this weird tainted area that they inhabit where they're probably not going to function in the same way as a normal demon or devil where you kill them and they come back in a hundred years and they're kicked out of the game for a little while, go to the penalty corner. A Succubi exists in the material plane as they do in their own fiendish realm. So killing one here could mean just the death of them forever. Unless there's some fuckery going on. But it seems like if you kill this thing dead, for once, the party will not wait a hundred years to deal with another issue. Because I tell you, a hundred years from now, you guys are going to have one hell of a party. Luckily, Norhill's going to be the only one left around to fully experience it. Yeah. GLHF Norhill. So, I hope that at least settles your fears a little bit. A little. Okay. So, with that in mind, at least you know that much. But Norhill also is very painfully aware of the fact that when you guys were dealing with Kala Sky before, she had that strange power to her where it nearly killed Norhill with just one recitation of a certain curse. So for whatever it's worth, even though you can definitely kill this thing dead, it's probably going to be a little bit more difficult than just hit her in the face a couple times. Any other questions? It's time for Jarzak to ask a question. Oh, Jarzak doesn't have any questions. Jarzak okay. is ready to see his queen again. Yeah. Uh, so geographically speaking, because I know nobody else has the map burned in their head quite like I do, um, the area where you are in Enton is right on the coast of the Arenstar Ocean, which is the same coast that Eagleheart is on. Uh, Eagle Heart uh, by the ocean, if you were to take a boat there, uh, would probably only take you about two days um, if the uh, ocean was being favorable, uh, which it never really is. Uh, but beyond that, the Akeratos Mountains sort of bisect the land between Corydale and the rest of uh, Amaroth. And so either crossing the mountains is one option. Uh, attempting to hug the coastline and walk that way is another one. Traveling across the ocean is another one. By air is another option. And another option would be to take the long road past Dustwind and loop it all the way up north to Eagleheart, which itself may be about a two-week journey. Well, we certainly don't have two weeks. And it sounds like they have the city pretty well fortified. I think our best bet uh, will be to follow the coastline north of the Akeratos Mountains and come at the city through the wilderness. Technically, there is one other option. Technically. If the party wanted to, 
they could probably go through Goggleglint, the gnomish colony there, and then they could probably find their way into the Underdark areas below Bolt's Crag Peak. And from there, they'd be right up on top of the mountain looking down upon it. So, if the party want to, for some reason, travel to Bolt's Crag again, that's also a shortcut. How far is Bolt's Crag if we took the Wave Wraith? Uh, if you chose to fly there, Bolt's Crag itself would probably be, I'd say, about a day and a half tops. And then traveling through Bolt's Crag into the Underdark, how long would that take? Well, if you went that way, the Bolt's Crag doesn't really go anywhere beyond that. Goggle Glint has found a couple tunnels that connect it, but that would be on the same side of the mountain you're already on. Oh, okay. That's, yeah, that's what I was... Gotcha. Goggle Glint is sort of on the southeastern side, and Eagle Heart's on the northern side. And traveling over the mountains uh, on foot from Bolt's Crag will probably cost us more time than it saves. You're saying going to Eagle Heart from Bolt's Crag? Yeah. The last time yeah. you'd made that exact journey was actually the first time you ever saw anybody from the Iron Maelstrom, which, you know, I'm talking about a walk down memory lane. Um, but the last time you did that, it actually took you only like three days or so. Well, I don't know. The, the Norhill's not hugely comfortable with trekking over crazy, you know, big, crazy mountains on foot. So Norhill is still of the opinion that following the coast north of the mountains is probably our best and safest bet. It's okay. also the route least likely to be watched looking on the map. Potentially. But then again, it does seem like quite a little bottleneck that they might want to look at. What say the rest of the party? I think it's good with either taking the wave wraith to the top of Bolt's Crag and then trekking down the mountain and then towards Eagle Heart or taking a boat up the coast. I mean, I did have a good time in Bolt's Crag. So Bonnie rides again. <laughs> My God. It, Bolt's Crag is the most familiar at the end of the day for the group. Well, we're not going to like actually be going. We're just going to be at the top of the mountain traveling yeah, we're down. Ba- yeah, we're basically using it's, Oh, it's still familiar though. That's where the um uh, oh my god, what the hell was Kieran? Oh. Yeah, that's where the Kieran was. Oh, so we're not even going inside. No. Yeah, we're we're using Bolt's Craig Peak as basically a rest stop. Uh somewhere halfway through the mountains between Quarrydale and Eagle Heart. And it's cool going back there because it was once a blessing. Isn't that where all, like, the snow is? It is. Hey, Anton's good with it. (laughs) Jarzak doesn't really care which way we go. Well, it sounds like there are more votes for going by way, for going over the mountains from Bolt's Crag Peak, so it seems that is the way we're going to go. Okay. So with that, uh, sort of inescapably, the party, as you spend more time um, discussing this matter, 
you realize that kick the click shows up it callous shows up Auk shows up the whole gang just sort of sort of circles the table where you guys are sitting and sort of hang about and just listen in intently on what you guys are talking about and eventually Auk chimes in and says are you gonna take us too I wouldn't have asked it of you, but if you wish to travel with us, I shall not stand in your way. It would be dangerous, not only because we are traveling deep into enemy territory, uh, past at least half of the Iron Maelstrom itself, but at the end of the whole journey is a dangerous demon witch. Ock just kind of like looks stunned by this and says, Oh, she sounds ugly. Uh, she is horrifyingly beautiful. <laughs> in the most dangerous, deadly, awful sense of the word. But um, right. she's she's already Jar's ex-girlfriend, so... Not anymore. She hurt Kick. She's done. That's really big of you, Jarzak. Yeah, I hold Kick to a higher standard than her. So Kick just actively eating a live animal? Damn, where did you find that? <laughs> he just, just kind of like clicks back at you and says floorboard. It's a wombat. <laughs> There's one very angry giant you're going to have to deal with over that. Actually, technically that was a hill troll, which, yeah, anyway. But yeah, okay. And so with that, Yig Kalith just kind of steps forward and says, we wouldn't feel right if we left you to your own devices on this. And if you are traveling into enemy territory... We'd rather take all opportunities to help you while we can. It'll be really good to travel with everybody again. And you guys can meet Swiftbolt. And with that, the Lucky Dog and Swiftbolt are both here. Um, and it seems like, again, because everybody's sort of a plus one to the party, everybody's met. Again, that's kind of how Shereel ended up befriending everybody else. <laughs> just Everybody knew you guys. So when it came to matters of managing the city... I mean, Shreel's basically second in command. You know what I mean? Caracol and Margay are pretty well close to second in command. It just made sense. They're always in the same management circles. So eventually they're like, you know what I mean? So with that, Swiftbolt and the uh, Lucky Dog are more than willing to fire up the Wave Wraith tonight if you're looking to do that. No. If you can have it ready so quickly, that would be wonderful. No, over the mountain is the fastest route, right? Um... If the party wanted to just fly to the back end of it, the party could do that as well. Again, the only issue that we have with that is traveling up the coastline is because it's such a choke point, there's a pretty good chance that there's an encampment of soldiers ready and waiting just because of how close it is to the city of Eagleheart and because it's such a sure shot from Enton up to there that it seems like this might actually be, I don't know, a, like a veritable way to attack Enton itself. So there could be an entire army sitting there waiting, and you guys would come flying in like, uh-oh, turn around, turn around. <laughs> well, I suppose despite the misgivings I had voiced earlier, it's almost certain that they don't have soldiers posted on every mountain peak. It would be too difficult to move, uh, to move them all through. Right. That's why they have giant metal murderous eagles. Well, I pray that they have fewer of those than they have foot soldiers. No, they all evolved. It's awful over there. Oh, <laughs> it's just man. All eagles. 
it's all flying combat. They all they just grinded out the EXP and oh man. Well, that's a lot of commoners. Um you know, I'm not gonna say genocide's good for XP, but anyway, milestone XP is way better, right, guys? Um so with that in mind, what's the plan with the wave wraith? Over the mountain, around the back. I mean, I'd imagine that we would just fly. Uh, I, I don't actually see Bolt's Crag Peak on the map. Where is it exactly? It's pretty close to the northern center of the Akeratos Mountains. Yeah, so it's at the highest peak. Fly straight there from Enton. Okay. Very well. So with that, uh, the Lucky Dog and Swift Bolt, hearing their captain say that they would like to leave this evening, they whip up into good shape and start getting the sailing crew of gnomes <laughs> ready to go. These poor gnomes. I really, I feel like they didn't sign up for this, to be fair. <laughs> I mean, don't forget about the guys from Fearmore who joined the crew. Don't you forget about I, those sailors. I like. They, I, uh... I, it's just crazy what's going on on this ship. You know, this is what happens when you have a free market and you let Jarzak be the captain. Dolphin Boy does not deserve to be Captain Dolphin. Of course I do. Get off my ship. <laughs> anyway, so uh, with that, in a few hours, the uh, party are able to get the ship just about ready to go. Were there any other things about planning the party would want to do? I imagine the party are going to rest on the ship on their way to the mountain peak. Yeah. I mean, you know, other than making sure, you know, food, mundane supplies, that sort of thing. The unfortunate reality is the Wave Wraith was sort of already prepared as an escape vessel with an emergency supply ready to go on it at basically all times. Was it only meant for us? Of course. What about everyone else? Well, like the crew members on the ship we can't fit a whole town on the ship what like well if we put ropes on the town then the ship could lift it up nope uh, the elementals are not strong enough you don't know that the the gnomes have told me oh it's barely yeah. strong enough to lift with all of us <laughs> Clinkle looks for one of the gnomes for confirmation or denial it's a miracle that it even does what it does. <laughs> They've said it. You know. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I, I suppose we'll, we'll be fine on resources, at least. The Wave Wraith was meant to be at sea, so to speak, for our last mission for weeks, if not potentially over a month. I think that a couple of days will, won't make much of a dent in what we have on board already, even with the extra mounts. Is there yeah. any way... And I don't know if there's maybe a concentration problem with this, but I think Anton wants to leave some extra protection within Enton, be it a protective circle or a celestial or something, but I don't know if he can make something that can last without breaking concentration. I mean, without some sort of permanency effect, I imagine it would probably just dissipate after eight hours at the longest. Yeah. But. Wait a minute. You could hold a nice service for your people before you leave. I'm sure they'd appreciate that. 
Saint Anton don't work that way. Yeah. No, he'll definitely give a sermon. But he's I think just he's abusive like... saint. Oh no, he's just super practical. He's like, well, I'll leave you this guardian. No kind words. I'm out. <laughs> guardian. Why does it look like a giant candle? What the hell is that just thing? Floating there. They're <laughs> like, run away. Uh, uh, if Anton is going to hold a quick service, Norhill would like to locate uh, some we uh, some weavers or embroiderers or whatever, so that he could also unveil the party's banners. Oh yeah, did Jarzak ever find his banner? He sure did. Right. The uh, orcs carry those things around like beach towels. They like they are so proud of the blood <laughs> throne. the The banner is just a stark, either white or black or gray, with sort of like a negative version of the throne itself and splotches of bright red paint all over it. Very unceremoniously. Yeah. Uh, Norhill would like to uh, reveal a new banner for the Halls of Silver and Steel, where it's got uh, the silver sign capped uh, by the Helm of Steel brand. I assumed it was going to be a chibi of some sort, but... Um... Nope. Okay. It's a Dakimakura. <laughs> Oh, no. Um, okay. <laughs> um, I imagine Anton doesn't have any sort of a banner of any sort other than carrying around the lantern. It's just the lantern. Anton's too practical for that. He's like, I find banners to be too flashy. They'll know I'm there. Like, I don't need a sign. And then Kalika like, yeah, just has... Yeah, Norhill puts one out for him anyway, like a big, like a big oil lamp on a pole that you can carry around. Yeah, Kluka just debates going back to the painter, canceling the project, and just having an embroiderer do it on a, something she can carry around. <laughs> carry it around the wombat flag. Like, why Why do you have a wombat flag? Like, you know, the people of Solfide really resonated with me. <laughs> I decided... It's to remember my dog, Schalt, always. <laughs> That's sad. I'm getting that um... dog back someday. <laughs> okay. Um, and so with that, with banners held high, uh, the party begin to march their way to the vessel. But uh, did Anton have a particular sort of uh, procedure he had for this little uh, gathering? The service, as it were? I feel like he would just want them to know that they've made major sacrifices major changes within their lives to keep Glory Wake still about and he's going to do everything he can to make sure they do not have to move any further and that they will return back to their place one day when he returns and to keep hope and faith that they're not going to fall to this being that Glory Wig will still stand. If there are hundreds of them, or only one. And with that, somebody yells out from the crowd gathered and says, Walk in the light! Anton shouts back and says, Shut the hell up. <laughs> you don't have the talking stick right now. <laughs> just the pole with the lantern on it. No, I feel like he'll just uh, say yes. The light is the path. 
but make sure to see where you're going. And so with that, the uh, crowd gathered. Uh, I'll tell you what, why don't you roll me a charisma check on that one? You can, uh, I don't know if you have a social skill you'd like to pair with that, because intimidate feels a little wrong, No, as well I don't as think deception. But the right one. <laughs> Walk in the light. Um, could this <laughs> like... be a performance? No. Would this be an athletics check if I like just <laughs> run in place while check? I tell them? <laughs> Would a performance make sense or no? No. Should I, I mean, I... check? Yeah, sense. I mean, that's why I'm saying, like, if you have a, a bonus you can add to it, like a persuasion, I'd let you do that. But otherwise, I'd say you could just roll raw on it. Um, I think I'm just going to just do a straight charisma. Sorry. Yeah, that's a little bit funky. It's a little bit funky. No, I'm just gonna do it as. Why is this bit silly? It's not saving. He's no, a little gonna... bit funky. I'm just gonna do I'm a little bit R&B. That's how the song goes, right? I got eleven. <laughs> so that people are. Uh, how do I say this? Not necessarily moved by what you have to say, but this was a political speech that had to happen. A leader had to address the people, and for that, nobody feels particularly moved by it, but people have a level of solemnity, and it seems like Anton did the right thing by addressing them. Everyone remembers why they never really stayed awake through Anton's Sunday Mass. <laughs> Anton did not choose to be a saint. He has no idea where this designation come from, came from. Very good. Um... He did not choose okay. to be an inspiration to these people. <laughs> so with that, uh, Jarzak's only real goodbye that he gets from the orcs is uh, a f quite a few of the rowdy band of orcs ask if they might be able to come along with you guys. But it seems like the second in command here, Agarax, just tells you not to do such a thing. Yeah, no, Jarzak would also tell them no. Just, and he's just going to be like, you guys, you need to be ready. It just like gives a nod to Agarath and heads out. <laughs> like holding his the banner of the orcs up as he walks away. <laughs> it's very heavy for him, so it's a hollowed out freaking... Anyway, um, okay. So the party make it to the vessel, and at about midnight when the moon is its highest, the wave wraith takes off, flying to the north and to the west, to reach the Akeratos Mountains. Um, in this time, the party are able to get in a full rest. Um, and I guess at this point, I know this seems like a weird place to do this, but I don't think we ever actually went over our level up that we did after the uh, quest ending, did we? Oh yeah, we completely forgot about that. So, did anybody have anything important happen during their level up? No, now that we're what? Born as level fuck. 18? Wait, what? Oh, 18, nice. We are level 11. Uh, uh, don't confuse everyone. <laughs> I may have scaled this adventure a little bit. I'm sure you guys will be fine. You know, challenge ratings don't really matter in D&D. &D. Uh, Norhill attacks three times every time he takes the attack action now, so... Swag. That is potentially six attacks in a round. And you cracked triple digits of HP? I did. 
I have 107 hit points now, finally. Well, Plinka must have, what, 120? <laughs> 112. That's so depressing. Good old charisma characters, you know? Anyway, did uh, anybody else get anything fun? No. Well, <laughs> all of Klika's cantrips do <laughs> more damage now, so that'll be exciting. And I learned my first six-level spell, which Anton and Jarzak should have learned as well. What's the six-level? What's the six-level spell? Uh, Klika got Scatter, which is a... It's kind of like dimension door but i can choose up to five creatures within 30 feet of me and do it so it's not like a super far range teleport but i can take five creatures to a space i can see with or an unoccupied space uh within 120 feet of me so just epic dimension door okay yeah nice uh, did Anton pick out a cool six level spell? I just picked out heal. That's nice. Man, I mean, you know, <laughs> probably need that more than anything else. Um, All the other okay. spells were cool, but I was like, this this is just Anton's personality. <laughs> heal bot. Um, yeah. Okay. Did Jarzak get anything cool? Uh, Jarzak got his. Mystic Arcanum, which allows him to do a six-level spell, but it's a long rest to reset. Um, and he got Soul Cage. Jesus. And then he also broke into a hundred health as well. You know, just what about barely. Anton? How much health? I was gonna say, how much health does Anton have? Anton has. Um, is it? Oh, that match. It's um. Sorry. Forty. Eighty-eight. All right. Well, it's kind of cool that everybody's in the same general area there. Um. Okay. So uh, I would say that as the party are sleeping upon the wave wraith, uh, there's really no disturbances. But I imagine that while the party are traveling for the next day and a half. Uh, we have an opportunity for some little improv role play while we're traveling, but I imagine the nerves are getting to people, especially since the last time we had the threat of those iron hawks in the air. It ended with a near like catastrophic death for the party with the thing crashing to the ground. Uh, so knowing that you guys are relying on Swift Bolt's eyes and Lucky Dog's piloting, uh, as well as a gang of gnomes and two guys, uh, it definitely seems like this whole trip is a bit more suicidal as you guys leave the comforts of Enton, which really you only got to enjoy for about a day or so. So I guess my question is for the party is for the next day and a half that you guys have on this vessel. Um, what would you like to do for some improv sort of role play stuff? Klika is going to make sure that uh, when she's not looking we always have at least one or two sentries scouring like the ground beneath the wave wraith especially when we're traveling at night looking for like uh, campfires or stuff like that because she's trying to just figure out if maybe 
her wayward companions are out there somewhere there. So she's like keeping an eye out for them. Um, during the day when it's less obvious or tree cover prevents it, I guess she wants to catch up with the people who are traveling with us again. Like it, it'll be nice to actually talk with uh Yikalith and Auk and kick the click. All them. Okay. I mean, it definitely seems like this is wearing on them as well. And when you speak of having sentries, it definitely seems like it's these guys who are going to be doing the sentry work, uh, feeling one most responsible for finding them. But you can also tell that the guilt that at least Yigkalath, I guess, being the most capable of guilt as the most intelligent of the three listed companions here. Uh, it definitely seems oh. that it's evident that Yigkalath feels sort of responsible for them leaving. And so volunteers to stay up until the very wee hours of morning, uh, a sentry over the side of the vessel. But um, yeah, they definitely all have a very determined energy to them, and they definitely seem very obliged to be helping, but they don't seem to be happy about any of this. Anybody else? Uh, throughout the whole trip, uh, Norhill is probably pretty on edge. Like when he's not actively, you know, sleeping because he simply must, uh, he's always fully armed, fully armored, ready to go at a moment's notice. Okay. Fair enough. What about Anton? Anton's just trying to concern comes to like terms of like what it actually means to be a saint. <laughs> they might die. And they're really gonna call him a saint. And he really just I think he's really trying to think, like, what does that <laughs> mean? Why is he a saint? Just to protect them? Like, I think it's just a little bit... Have he's you... still very unsure of his, of his leadership for Glory Wake. He cares very much, and he wants to protect it, but all of a sudden being, like, the last one in charge has... makes him Anton... very kind of... Uh, has Anton ever thought about like putting any of these thoughts into like writing or anything in case like he doesn't make it back? Can Anton write? That's a question. Yes, he can. <laughs> That's a uh... powerful question. <laughs> He's got this, this is 3.5 where, where there's literacy mechanics. Everybody can read, right? He can read. Um, Imagine being able to read but not write. I don't know. I I don't know. I feel like he's like kind of getting weirded out by it. I feel like he's like everyone's calling him saints and he's doing blessings, but he's like, how is this any different than what I did a year ago? And he's like, how is this any different than what I did a year ago? And when he thinks of if he writes this, he's like, people are going to think of this as scriptures. And he's like, this is just me writing my thoughts. So I think... <laughs> Like, I think this is just, it's, it, it's, it, it's intimidating him a little bit. He just doesn't, he doesn't understand it. He doesn't, not that he doesn't feel he deserves it. He's just kind of not understanding why it even started in the first place. He's like wondering, like, where did the sainthood even come from? Who made this decision? Just Anton, just having literal miracles performed. And then speaking with literal deities and being like, why would they think that I'm of any deific importance in any way, shape, or form? 
as you turn mud into literal sustenance and save people on multiple exoduses. Like, like, why are they looking at me like I did something good around here? He doesn't see it like that. <laughs> uh, carrying what? around the literal symbol of his faith, like, everywhere uh, he goes. And the difference from a year ago is your god actually talks back now sometimes. <laughs> Funny part is that Anton leaves his god on red. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the worst part. <laughs> and I'm schmoozing with a different god just because he felt like it. So we're <laughs> casting water spells now. You're like, yeah, so what? My faith is a little complicated. Whatever. I also like thinking that Anton's memoirs would come with like a painfully descriptive like forward that's like, this is not scripture. Okay. This yeah. is not this is not biblical. All right, I'm just confused with how I feel. Don't read into it. If you do, you're a dick. And you just make that like the watermark on every page. Just like... And then, you know, people reading it in 50, 100 years. Wow, St. Anton was so deep. I wonder <laughs> what it means. Eventually, the first page saying that got torn out. And so everyone's just like, this is the scripture. <laughs> uh, so every third chapter is just bread God. recipes. <laughs> just, you know, sourdough in the margins Ugh. it doesn't even have binding it's just dough how to keep um, us through the hard times Santon thought ahead the longest chapter dough. in the book winter and why it sucks <laughs> like it was just written in a very like comedic like roaster kind of way just like and another thing I can't feel my fucking toes what the shit is that about fuck you snow idiot like, I can't even drink snow. What good are you to anyone? I think his biggest thing is just, at this point, other than the high priest, I feel like he just wants to meet another cleric. Good idea of, like, is this normal? Like, I don't know. He's, he doesn't think that this out. Like, he's like, there must be other clerics who could do this. Right? True right. real. The but true cleric. He doesn't know, maybe. He he has a lot of questions. Oh, just avoiding uh, taking responsibility. I mean, that's like the that's like the crux of this. Let's be honest. Very good. Um, okay. Did Jarzak have anything fancy he wants to do? No, Jarzak's just gonna be captain in the ship, acting like he's running the show, and we all know it's just Lucky Dog doing everything. Yeah, but Jarzak's the guy with the big hat. So yeah. Jarzak puts on his big hat and stands behind the wheel. I like thinking that you literally have a big hat that you take out just for this purpose. Yeah. Like, the orcs have never seen you in it because they make you like look like an idiot, so you only take it out on the ship to impress gnomes. <laughs> hey, that's what it means to live in a multicultural world now. Are we, uh, are we flying our banners off of the giant sword that we have attached to the front of the ship? Because I don't <laughs> want anyone to forget that that's also a thing. Charles, like, definitely forgot that was a thing. So I guess he'd he just be at the wheel behind. looking out front and just being like, that does look sick. <laughs> Very well. So, at a day and a half, the party crest the mountains uh, of Keratos and reach Boltzcrag Peak. From where you guys are flying over the mountains, you can see Eagleheart very clearly from this place. Um, again, you're only a handful of miles away, to be honest, uh, beyond the mountains. It's really not that far from the mountain's base. Uh, but looking down, 
the mountains obscured much of what you could have seen while you're in Enton, but being here and looking there, when I tell you there is like a storm of just sheets of metal, it almost looks like the debris circling like like planets. You know what I mean? Like it's just like a giant cloud of metal that's slowly circling, almost as if like the eye of the storm is directly over the castle itself. And all this metal just seems to be kind of like dampening the light from reaching the city. And overall, you guys can see the specks sort of drifting over Eagle Heart. As you can see, the metal hawks just sort of flying in and out, screeching, carrying over in the distance. And from where you are now, looking farther to the west, you guys can see the Sundering Spire. And you guys feel something when you look in that direction. There's a strange monumental magneticism that you feel when you look in that way. And it almost feels like your very bones are being like pulled in that direction. And as you guys are sitting there unloading different things from the vessel and getting your gear ready for your descent down the mountain face, it becomes painfully apparent to you that the spire seems to hum even in the distance. And as it does so, it lets off a reverberation. And this reverberation from that distance is not much, but when everybody feels like one collective vibration and sees a couple of the stones and a couple of the bits of metal hanging out around the entrance to Boltzcrag Peak shift, it's very mm. apparent to you just the immense like strength that, that the, uh, the spire has. And even from where you guys are, seeing the metal sort of crack up into the sky and up into the clouds... It, again, is just painfully apparent to you just how immense and powerful this device is. And the level of almost deific power that this giant thing has is not only humbling, but terrifying in a very mortal sense. Jarzak just feels a pull, and it's at, like his gauntlet, so he immediately just grabs it with the other hand to make sure it doesn't fly off. Just goes hurtling in that direction, you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> Somebody's going to get bitch slapped at like 900 miles per hour and it is not going to end well. Like that thing was sharp. I'm going to get tetanus. Um, but okay. So I suppose at this point, um, the rest of the crew have an opportunity to say goodbye. And everybody tells you that if you'd like, they can meet you somewhere in particular. What was the plan for exit? Did you want the uh, wave wraith? What did you want it to do? I get, I mean, we can teleport back to Enton, so probably just have the Wave Wraith meet there, assuming Clica yeah, doesn't teleport. die. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, or is the party's trying to wake you up? Like, come on, just teleport one more time. Is it? Put her in the moonlight. Yeah, is, I was going to say. Is it just shaking us? her at the stars? Is it just us four going, or did, like, kicking all them, are they coming into the city with us? I mean, that's your decision to make. Well, I think it might be easier to sneak us four in than have a whole group. Big group. And they can protect the Wave Wraith on the way back to town in case it gets attacked. And so, with that, the uh, group solemnly agree that that's probably the best idea and begin to pack up onto the Wave Wraith again. And within about 20 or so minutes, the vessel is up in the air, and it's heading back south towards Enton. So, I suppose my question for the party is, how would we like to travel to Eagleheart? 
I guess by this, I mean, are we going to breakneck speed our way down there? Are we going to take our sweet time and try to go stealthily? Or are we going somewhere in the middle? Uh, for at least the leg of the journey to take us through the mountains, probably somewhere in the middle. Like We don't want to super drag our feet, but we don't want to get reckless. Fair enough. Okay. Um, and Norhill will take out the silver sign, uh, hold it up, uh, and say, may the roads we need to follow open beneath our feet. Uh, and share it with the party to give everyone a plus two bonus to survival chance for 24 hours. Probably nice. the best idea. Honestly, that's a probably a pretty good idea. Um, okay, so speaking of which, who's going to be rolling our survival check in order to go gallivanting down the mountain? Mm. Might be me. Okay. With the plus two, I have five survival. Uh, oh, I fumbled. Don't fucking trust me. <laughs> I think when, when Ryan said that, he was trying to figure out who, who had the better odds. <laughs> yeah. So you got the fumble? Yeah. What's Anton's Ooh. bonus? It's a four. With the plus two? The plus with the plus two? We just got a plus two from Anthony. Oh from Norhill. Uh, I feel like it's a six. So Anton's would but be I the fumbled. highest. Yeah. So as the uh party begin their trek down the mountain, following the same general path they did before, Norhill, being a dwarf, has a very painfully good idea of where they're headed. But Anton in the front starts to direct the party in a different path suggesting that he knows the truest sense following the sun as it sets in the east. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> but unfortunately, as the uh, party are traveling in this direction, uh, they find that they've sort of looped themselves into a bit of a crevasse. And instead of finding a shortcut, realize as they reach the bottom that they're going to have to scale their way out. Um, either that or backtrack a few hours. So would you guys rather attempt to athleticize your way out or <sighs> would you like Char to backtrack and spend the extra hours? Charzak just looks up and like shakes his head and casts fly. Very good. As you cast fly and the party begin to float you hear the sound of something cutting wind you know and as it does so with that noise overhead you can hear a screech as if rusty metal on metal, and hear the sound of something just cut straight through the air like a fighter jet. And as you guys are slowly floating up through the crevasse, you can see that you just missed what appears to be a couple of those iron hawks as they go flying in the distance south, perhaps towards where the wave wraith has been flying. But judging by the fact that it's been a couple of hours since you guys left the vessel, they could be flying towards Enton. They could be circling the mountains. Or they could be headed towards the Wave Wraith. Everybody's currently flying, but what would you like to do? They're headed towards the Wave Wraith. We should stop them. We left our people there to protect the Wave Wraith. We have to believe they can handle this. How many hawks were there? Two. You guys fought two before and nearly lost the vessel. 
Oh yeah, yeah. But but kick the is wave much stronger is already... than us, so should be fine. How far away are they? The vessel is about two hours away now, and those hawks themselves at this point, as you guys are talking, are probably about five hundred feet away. Ah shit. Maybe Can we, we should message to them, giving them like a warning. You could. I do it. Maybe okay. Prepared. I don't think I do. I do not have a prepared. Oh, no. Son of a bitch. No. If we want to go after him, now's our chance. But I think. They can I think. It. I think we should try and stop them. There's no reason to put everyone in danger if we can help out now. So with that, Jarzak's just gonna yell out as loud as he can so that hopefully the hawks hear him. Okay. Hey, you pair of rusty spoons. We're the ones you're looking for. <laughs> Fucking rusty Jar- Jarzak spoons. hears that and he's like, that's good, and just yells it louder than Norhill did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so with that, the... uh Hawks, you can hear that were screeching in that direction. Did you guys want to keep flying? Wait a minute, like, I have sending out of the crevasse. I wonder if I can wait now. It is. You've pissed, <laughs> off, some, you pissed yep. off some rusty spoons. If you want to do that now, you could definitely do that now. I'm just saying that it seems like combat is on the horizon. Okay, never mind. If, if, if we knew they weren't coming, then whatever. Sorry, it makes sense. Hey guys, we're getting in a fight. <laughs> and then nothing for nothing message wouldn't have worked anyway meta message doesn't have that kind of range yeah i don't know why i mixed up the i mixed up the semantics i was like message and it's like no it's sending that's okay i knew which one you meant <laughs> um okay so the party are still technically like halfway in the crevasse crevasse dips down about 60 or so feet um and the ledges climbing back out of it are pretty steep, but uh, luckily above you is a series of ledges. So my question is, uh, the party are going to be able to reach the top of the crevasse by the time you guys yell. Um, and I suppose my question is, where would you like to go? Or what would you like to do? Norhill's going to stand on like the edge of the crevasse uh, so that it looks like, you know, you have feet on the ground. Uh, rather than actively flying. It's probably the best way to go about that. Um, okay. Did anybody else have any sort of uh, preferences for where they would like to be attacked from? I mean, climb to? Jarzak's <laughs> gonna hide out just slightly down the hill so they can't really see him as easily. That way, he hopefully won't be targeted and break concentration. Okay. <laughs> thinking yeah i mean if we're all gonna try and maybe fight mostly on the ground clica will land for now that way jarzak doesn't have to worry so much would anton like to do the same thing yeah i think i'll try to make sure he's like in range of anyone depending on how much damage we're gonna take we're gonna take some damage so i would say that the overall layout here they're sort of like stepped ledges going down the mountainside and Anton attempted to lead you guys into a bit of like a more steep dip down the crevasse being sort of like a sort of like a wedge shaped kind of little canyon ish thing. But the problem is the canyon ish thing took like a severe turn 
and ended with like a butt crack at the end of it. So it's like there you thought you were saving yourselves a lot of time, but realizing like how steep it was, there's really not much you could do about it. So technically the ledges you guys are going to be standing on here are probably about 20 or so feet wide. And they kind of reach in like a crescent shape sort of roughly in a flat kind of incline uh, nestled around like the uh, topographical kind of dips to the mountainside. So there's not a lot of space to stand here, but with the mountain at your back, it definitely seems like you've at least cleared off a little bit of space from where they could attack you from, if that makes sense. Um, okay. So in that case, uh, like I said before, they're about 500 feet away um, and it's going to take them about two turns to get over here if they're hauling ass. But it seems like you guys yelling definitely diverted their course, and they definitely seem like they're heading in your direction. I'm trying to recall from our last fight, was there anything that specifically weakened them? Weakening them? Mm, not so much. You knew that they were resistant to most melee attacks. They were definitely, because they're constructs and not really living, they're immune to quite a many things. Um... Did we but, find out uh, if they were immune to psychic damage? That's what I need to know. They uh, unfortunately are. Excellent. All right. So. Which is good it, because, you know, even mindless undead like zombies aren't immune to psychic damage. Constructs, on the other hand. Yeah, they just, they're, they're built different. Really they are. Um. And so, uh, the only other thing you know is that these things can hurl shrapnel at you guys. Like, their feathers just go whipping towards you, and those things hurt like a motherfucker. That, and they had a certain screech that kind of stupefied half the party a couple times, and almost did had they, them falling off the vessel, so. Did they also try to pick us up, too, right? Well, 100%. Oh, yeah, okay. So, it doesn't really matter if we're on ground right now or flying to fight. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the part that I thought was kind of funny because they might just assume you guys can't fly when they yeah. try to drop you be able to, you know, just anyway, be like, well, nope, and just follow them. Yeah. <laughs> so would you guys like to do anything in the next couple rounds? Jarzak's going to prepare to cast Eldritch Blast as soon as they get in range and then he'll duck down, back down. Uh, Norhill is going to be taking the dodge action. I mean, since I'm not going to be using Shadow Blade. Um, <laughs> could do summon draconic spirit and actually try and use that in battle. Could you imagine <laughs> the dragon to come fight the giant eagles? Nice, yeah. do it. I mean, honestly, that might not be a bad idea, especially if it's like Tartharja. Yeah, probably gonna do that. So I'll summon, uh, what is it? Metallic for gold? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Metallic. Cool. All right. So in, with that in mind, I guess from the hillside, the spirit just kind of erupts from like the rubble and uh, the rocks sort of gathered around here and the spirit just kind of like shoots forth from the ground uh, where you hold flicker sort of aim down at it. Um, and the draconic spirit just sort of lands near your feet and approaches you obediently. Okay. Did Anton want to do anything? I feel like he's going to want to prepare. He's going to prepare a... 
Are they like flying in a tight group or are they a little bit scattered? No, they're just both weaving in from the sides. I'm going to then prepare Scorching Ray. Okay. Get Actually, 120 feet. I mean, if if I have the time, I'll blast off a fire shield, blink, and mirror image, too. Because fucking why not? I mean, do those ones have a concentration as well? No, they're all con- able to be cast just freely. Yeah, no. Leave it to Kalika. Um, you'd be <laughs> able to get off one other spell. All right. Uh, I'm going to hope they don't have immunity to fire damage, and I'll do fire shield. I don't think I'm that rude. Um, okay. And so with that, uh, at the end of that second turn there, we can roll for initiative real quick. Or, sorry, no. Everybody had a lot of prepared actions for that round, so I guess technically we're going to start with the eagles. Uh, sort of careening around the sides here where you guys were, uh, one to the left and one to the right. Um, so prepare to action. Scorching Ray is going to go off. The Eldritch Blast is going to go off. So go ahead and get to it. Uh, 25 to hit. Okay, that's good. On lefty or righty? Right. Always go right. Even when you try to kill it. My first one, I got a 19. Is that lefty or righty? Lefty. I got 10 for lefty. Okay, so first of all, that Scorching Ray just careens off of its metallic plating on its breast and just goes flying in the opposite direction. I can't, can I stop it like mid-spell or is that just not doing anything? No, it just goes shooting off in a different direction. It's not bouncing right back at you or something. Okay, well, that'd be, I, that'd I be a all dick move. Well, I shot what? all three. Of them. I got a 19, a 10, and a 23. I think I just kept trying to whack it. 23 hits. And this is misses. on lefty or righty? I kept going for lefty. Okay. And, got, and what did you. Uh, second. Uh, six points of damage. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then how much damage on righty? Uh, twelve misses, right? Yep. Okay. Uh, eighteen damage. Damn. Okay. Okay. So as they come speeding around the corner and just about uh, enough distance to crash into you guys, uh, they're about hundred and twenty feet away at this point. Um, either of them on either side. Um, and if you guys didn't have the range on your spell, I don't care that much. Um, but as they come careening around the sides like that, uh, you guys are able to stop them a little bit by casting spells at them. I guess they weren't really expecting you guys, and especially not expecting spells, nor expecting a fire-wreathed Kalika sitting upon a dragon's back. Um, but I guess this is a, a moment of surprises for everybody. So let's roll for initiative real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got an even 10. 20. 12. 13. 2. Okay. Let me say 2. 2. <laughs> hey, you know, the, 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 this is this is the outcome of playing a character with no dexterity. You know, I saw an argument in a different system, not to get a, a little sidetracked here, but they suggested that all initiative should be rolled on a D10 instead, so that dex bonuses actually have a bigger impact. And at first I was like, that's dumb. But then I was like, yeah, I mean, it's not a terrible idea, but it just kind of feels like 
I don't know. Either way. So what would Klinka like to do as she sits at the top of the initiative round? I guess. You said they're 120 feet away? Uh, yeah. It's like, well, I guess cast Blink and start flying towards them. So okay. close half the distance. Okay. Um, how far does the blink take you? Uh, blink is just the one where I roll at the end of the round to see if I disappear. Oh or yeah, not. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Actually, That's let me do. Saying, wait a minute. Let me do mirror image instead of blink. So, right like now, all the clickers on the back. Yeah. <laughs> a little, little dragon party buzz. <laughs> yeah, right. Technically, the okay. dragon goes after me in initiative, so I probably flew up, and then the dragon just blew up also, and I just landed on its back again. <laughs> That's confusing, and I don't like it. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm willing to say the dragon can go before you in initiative just to make that not the most annoying thing in the entire world. So technically, if you want, the dragon can double move and clear the distance into melee. Oh, that would be perfect. Then, I, then I'll make attacks instead. Okay. If it's going to be considered different, just because I'm looking at the uh, fact that it's got its own, uh, what's it called, stats and everything. So I'm like, yeah. if I can kill it, it should have its own initiative. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. So Klika will make. Uh, yeah. One important use... question, though. Righty or lefty? Uh, I'll do right. Okay. So, yeah, Klika will make an attack with Flicker. On the right one with a booming blade. Okay. And then I also think about how silly it is that flying on a large creature towards another large creature that you hold up a fucking butter knife of a weapon and you're like, I'm gonna get him. Click has got the monkey feet, so she doesn't actually sit in the saddle. She sort of just runs around on top of the dragon. Again, monkey feet in an aerial combat, just, I don't know why, but it, it helps a lot. These monkey feet are really, uh, really doing it. All um, right. So that's a nat one. And I will spend two sorcery points to quicken spell and try again with Booming Blade. And that's a 25 to hit. Okay, 25 is good. Six, fourteen, and then three. Uh seventeen damage. Cool. And that's okay, so yeah, Klika's turn. Excellent. All right. Um, so with that, uh it can go now to Anton, second in initiative. So you just fired off your spell and it didn't really work out very, very well. But you stand there now next to Norhill on the ledge. What would you like to do? He's going to try Guiding Bolt on the same one. Lefty? Lefty. Is that a deck staring through? It is a... Is it a dex? Or is it an attack? It's an attack. Okay, good luck. Oh, I don't think I got it. No, I did not get it. What did you get? I got a 14. Nice. 
So that thing shoots off in the distance as well. As you can tell, this eagle seems to be careening directly for you. And it seems to be like drifting to the left and to the right, speeding past all the bolts of uh, radiant and fiery energy you're shooting in its direction as it kind of clatters its little jaw at you with a... Anything else you'd like to do for the Very round? weird. It's, it's going to get his... um. Can he get his... I don't think the mace is going to do good. Can he get the uh, sunblade ready? Yeah, totally. So you hold it up before you. Come yeah, in with the illuminator. The illuminator plugs it in for you. And the blade yeah. erupts in radiant light. Unfortunately, you're holding the blade when it does so. Um, <laughs> never, no. never could get the hang, the hang of melee combat. Um, yeah. Okay, and I suppose now, if that's the end of your turn, it goes to Jarzak with a 12. Okay, Jarzak's gonna cast Eldritch Blast again. They're still 120 away, right? Yes, sir. 25 to hit. That's good. 17 to hit. That is not good. And a crit. This is all going to right, by the way. You get three attacks with that? Uh, no, because you're 11. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. See, now I see why people love it so much. I mean, you know, I hope it's fine because uh, most of the time warlocks just end up Eldritch Blasting every round. Uh, it's going to be 24 damage. Jeez. Okay. So at this point, the thing looks like half of the metal that's holding it together is sort of splintered off by the wayside before it's even been able to make contact with anybody over here. Um, at least righty. Um, okay. And with that, Jarzak's going to move down the hill a little out of their sight. Okay. Um, perfect. Uh, if you'd like to, you can roll for a stealth check to do that. Luckily, oh my god. Okay, I'm sorry. I can't not have the DM screen down for this one. I, I have to roll an advantage because technically these things are birds of, of prey here. I got two 20s on that on that uh, perception check. So, no, you don't hide. They watched you go in there. You had a blinking light over your head with an arrow and they watched it. It's not often I double crit on advantage. Super didn't need it, but I mean, my seven could have could have definitely beat it if you didn't crit for sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he'll just move away the, enough, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. He, he's still wearing like clunky armor and stuff, so his like <laughs> I have disadvantage on stealth. He was just um, trying to like make it so they can't see him exactly. So if they want right. to target him, they have to like go there first and then locate. Yeah. Which they they okay. could, but there are a lot of excuses. Um, so with that, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so Righty is going to begin the uh, the round for our flying friends here. Uh, hey, Righty is... You skipped Norhill. No, Norhill got, what, two? Yeah. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, I got ten. Oh, I thought they already won this round. Never mind. Nah. No. Um, they started the round by entering the uh, area here. Um, but yeah, so what I'm going to need is a constitution saving throw from Kleeker. And I suppose technically uh, the dragon as well. Chromatic dragon here. All right. Kleeker got a 30. <laughs> no, a constitution saving throw. Yeah. You know, uh, you know. Is this to be charmed, frightened, or poisoned? <laughs> no, it's not. Okay, I just want to make sure. 
just a fucking 30. Does that does that overkill carry into the next saving throw? Is that how that works? And uh, the dragon got a 17. Okay. So the hawk before you just starts sort of starts screeching in that very uh penetrating tone as it does. Um and as it does so, you can feel it sort of reverberating in your own skull. Um, doing so, um, you sort of try to hold yourself together as you feel like your brain start to numb out in like a sonic brain freeze. But uh, unfortunately for it, uh, it doesn't seem like it uh, uh, managed to affect you in any way. And as it does so, it flies 120 feet directly past you without invoking any attacks of opportunity. Uh, flying, I imagine, probably closer to the other one. Um, and as it does so, uh, Lefty now just completely dive bombs down for Anton, uh, with both of its giant metal claws at the ready, and it flicks its wings on either side. Uh, as it does so, uh, a couple of those, uh, feathers go fluttering down towards Anton. Anton, what's your armor uh, class? Norhill's going to give a disadvantage on this attack roll. Okay. And I do want to say that, uh, right... Go ahead. Oh, booming blade. Yeah. And okay. it took so, twelve damage from booming blade. Naturally, good. It it realizes how futile its move was now. Um, <laughs> okay, so and it was sixteen, was it? See? For the uh, armor class. Okay. So with that, the feather, as yes. Norhill tries to block in front of you, jumping in front of you with a shield, the feather seems to go low in a way that I guess Norhill was hoping it would, you know, not aim for Anton's chest. Uh, but instead, the feather comes careening down at full speed and chops into Anton's foot for a whopping, I can do math, 15 points of piercing damage. Jesus. Don't worry, you have heal now. That'll heal the rest of your foot. Get it? Because it's heal. Um, I think heal is the one that regrows limbs, isn't it? I thought that was regenerate. But anyway, while we're answering that, that question, I do need Norhill and Anton to roll me a constitution saving throw. No, no. One sec, so you can look up your heal spell. You didn't lose a toe. No, no, no. I said, oh, fuck, because I got a fucking seven. <laughs> oh, I saved. Uh, no, <laughs> got a 27. <laughs> no, yeah, that's the thing about this party. Y'all do constitution pretty good, and Anton's the only one who stands hey, out not know, being super conny. Klika has a better constitution saving throw than Norhill does. You know, that doesn't surprise me in any way, shape, <laughs> or form. <laughs> There's nothing at all against Norhill and 100% against Klika. <laughs> I don't um, know why. She's just a little goblin. I'm so sick and tired of Klika. <laughs> I'm gonna kill her off. Um, so, for what it's worth, uh, Norhill holding the shield wall, attempting to block uh, Anton from what's coming his way at full speed. The hawk, as it comes close to its prey, the two of you... Norhill's able to stave, stave himself uh, uh, away from the brunt of the screeching, uh, harsh tones of the metal-on-metal metal noise. But Anton, on the other hand, his brain turns to mush for a hot second as he is stunned. Um, yeah, not not great. So Anton's brain goes to Nanners um, for the next round. 
So now uh, we go to Norhill, and this thing is just about within swinging distance of you. Which means it is within swinging distance. Just about. Uh, so, first things first, uh, Norhill is going to uh, spend a bonus action uh, to make his first attack a fainting attack, uh, and right. thereby gain some extra damage and advantage on the attack roll. Okay. Very well. Uh, so that is going to be a 26 to hit. That's good. I like thinking that the feint to your attack is that blocking and trying to cover your ears from the screeching, the thing starts reaching in for uh, for Anton, and you just like use the shield itself to bop in at it, tricking it into thinking you're ducking. Uh, well, it works for me, so that is going to be um, uh, your description. <laughs> Let me forget how much damage it was. Nice. 24 points it was two. magical uh, bludgeoning and lightning damage. I like thinking that now it's just a battle to see which of the two pairs of two can drop the the uh, the hawk first. Because <laughs> we got two more attacks from Norhill, he could he could even the playing field. All right, so let's see the other two attacks. Uh, we are going to have an eighteen to hit and okay. a twenty-one to hit. So the twenty-one hits, eighteen does not. We're slowly realizing what the armor class of the dragon may be. I mean, the uh, hawks may be. Uh, so that's going to be another 11 points of magical bludgeoning and lightning damage as Norhill tries to hammer this metal monstrosity to death. Okay. So you bash off quite a few of the metal plates and the thing snaps at you in a ferocious, predatory kind of way, flapping its wings, getting ready to attack again. But before we can get to that, it's going to go to the top of the second round with Kleeker on deck. So long as Norhill doesn't have anything else to do. How bad does it look? How bad does it look? Yeah. Um, it's not bloody. Yeah, I'll hold off. You sure you don't want to go full Nova on this thing? I'm sure. Okay. Uh, so in that case, top of round two, Klika. Okay. Did the one <laughs> move 60 feet away? Can I get back in base contact? Yeah, yeah. If you'd like to, you can chase after it. Yeah, that's what I'll do. Um, I guess I'll have my dragon go first. So this Good will attack. be fun. Yeah. So I get two rend attacks and a breath weapon. I'm also gonna treat these as magical attacks because it doesn't actually specify that they are, but I'm gonna say that because it is a spell itself, that it probably has magical attacks. I would, you would hope so, but you, you know, really would. But usually they're pretty specific about that kind of thing. All right, so, so I what got, you a got ten and a twenty-two to hit. Okay, so the twenty-two definitely hits. Okay. Um, and then my dexterity saving throw, I got a seventeen. That's that's gonna be the deck save. Do I is it save or suck? Half as much. Yep. Okay. Uh so it's gonna be fire because it's Tatharja. So I'll roll the two D six. Whoa. So three fire damage and then the damage from the rend is four plus 
four plus spells level 14. Okay, so this one looks very uh, painfully uh, beaten as Tartharja's spiritual form just sort of latches onto its back and starts tearing into it and breathing fire at it as Klika, or I guess the line of Conga line of Klikas on the back, begin to prepare to climb down and attack it as well, now that you're technically in melee combat. I actually, I didn't end up casting Mirror Image because I could get into melee that first round, so it's just one Klikas. Okay. It's always a conga line of Klikas in my head. True. Alright, I'm gonna make an attack with Flicker. 19 to hit. It is a miss. Uh, I'll make one more. 14 to hit. So, two misses. I do like thinking of Klika attempting to stab into this thing, climbing over Tartharja's shoulder, and just like Ah. slamming down as hard as she can, but just impossible to penetrate the metal there. Just can't quite get between the cracks. It's fine. All right. Is that the end of your turn? That's it for me. Okay. Fair enough. Now we're going to go to Anton. Can Anton do anything, or is he paralyzed? No, he's stunned. I just realized that. So yeah, you stand there in a dizzying fashion, uh, feeling your guard lowered as the world is spinning. You can hear a whistling tone, and you hear the sounds of grunting as Norhill in front of you is just just swinging in, bashing metal <laughs> plates off of it, trying to protect you from what's coming your way. <laughs> okay. And I suppose then now it goes to Jarzak, third in the round. Um. So, because Jarzak like, full moved away, I'm assuming he can only see the one that's right above Norhill and Anton, because the other one kind of um, flew away, right? Uh, well, he's flying overhead, so technically, I think that one's the only one you could see. So, from down in the ditch, you could probably see the one that Klika and Tartharja are just beating the shit out of. Okay. Um, how far away would I be from it? That one, I would actually think you probably cleared the gap to about 60 to 90 feet. My Pythagorean theorem sort of mathematics here are a little rusty, but I'm actually thinking you're way closer now. Oh, that's not great. Uh, Jarzak's gonna full move away again and cast... Oh, he'll cast Eldritch Blast and then full move away. Float down to the very bottom of the crevasse and just fire it up from down below. 25... That's a hit. I'm 27. My first one was a miss. Damn. Uh, All right. Do you got what it takes? That's going to be 14 damage. 14 damage is a kill. How would you like to describe your kill? Because technically, I mean, I guess the way I've seen it is Tartharja sort of latched onto the thing's back and is tearing into it. And Klika's hanging over his shoulder, just tink, tink, tinking at the back of its neck with a knife. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the Jarzak like just flying down the <laughs> the ditch is just like flying down and as he's flying he just shoots off a couple Eldritch blasts at it and I like thinking the Eld- oh, I'm sorry yeah no go ahead I was gonna say I like thinking they sound like fireworks when they shoot out and they just make that little noise and it's just like especially oh, yeah, from down like the crevasse where it like echoes <laughs> off the walls right just boom, boom. Just go flying up from below. Nobody has any idea where Jarzak is. He's just in the darkness. Just fucking Bane <laughs> down there. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, that, that's it. And yeah, they oh, just... Where did... Pop off and kill the eagle. 
I mean, does it shatter? Does it crash to the ground? I imagine it would just like the force would just like knock it out of uh, Tartage's grip and just it just falls to the ground. Okay. So yeah, we'll say that he blew off like a wing or two and the thing just kind of goes limp and careens sideways uh, spinning as it hits the ground next to where Norhill's protecting Anton and it shatters into a pile of shrapnel beside it as the other one is just sort of ducking in and pecking in at Norhill. Um, and I suppose that's the end of your turn, right? Yeah, and then I'll finish my move away. Even further. <laughs> Running full speed out of there. Can't, can't be so, hit. <laughs> at this point, the uh, the eagle starts to flap its wings again, uh, taking off from the ground. But as it does so, it's going to peck in at Norhill one time. Um, ooh, I got a 24. I'm pretty sure that beats Norhill's AC. Uh, yeah, but yeah. I'm going to use a reaction because it has been my turn to spend a warding maneuver. Okay. Uh, my AC is now 25. You son of a bitch. <laughs> well, okay. After it pecks in at you and you manage to, again, deftly uh, swing your shield to bat its little beak aside, the thing flies back a whole 60 feet up in the air and from its height at full distance away from you, is your AC 25 for the rest of the round? Hold on, I need to go look at the actual ability. It is very confusing. Everything. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, I'm willing to keep it at 25 because one of the tags definitely didn't hit, but the other one got a 28. So I'm thinking we're all set on this, and I'll just hit you for the one as one of the uh feathers comes careening down at full speed and crashes into you. Uh just okay. like with well, the engine. because the other thing that it does is it gives me resistance. So I need to know if it's just against the one attacker for the whole round. Yeah, that's definitely good information as I got uh, very close to maximum damage. On four dice, I got one below maximum on each of them, and that is a good bit of damage. Let's see. If you're wielding a melee weapon or a shield, roll the die and add the number rolled to the target's AC against that attack. If the attack still hits, the target has resistance against the attack's damage. So no, it has to be against the specific attack that I rolled the die for. So I guess what you're trying to tell me is that uh, you're going to take the full brunt to this damage, which in your case is 30 points of piercing damage as one of those uh, arrow-like, javelin-like uh, feathers comes careening down. You block the first one aside with the shield, completely leaving your chest exposed, and you take one straight grazing across your chest. And it is a deep and brutal wound. Uh, well, luckily... I still have my heavy armor master, so that's only 27 points of damage. Yeah. See, unless, it's that, unless it's magical. Unless it's magical. Um, in this case, it's not. Okay, so. Okay, so. 27 points of damage. Points of damage. Okay. Um, and so now flying about 60 feet overhead, that is the end of its turn. Uh, going now to North Hill. Oh, so uh, is it still within swinging range? No, it's 60 feet above you. Well, that's within one flying movement, so... Oh, shit. I forgot about that. And Norhill uh, lifts off the ground to go charging at the thing. Um, I'm going to spend another die to get advantage attack roll. Okay. Tip Anton over before you go. He won't <laughs> fall because he's got fly... 
but it will be funny. I knock Anton over with the force of my lunch. <laughs> I know. If this All giant right. bird could experience a look of fear, I imagine it probably gets that as it's like, ha ha ha, you'll never catch me, dwarf. And dwarf just... just uh, that's going to be a 22 to hit. Yeah, that's good. Uh, for 16 points of magical bludgeoning and piercing damage. Okay. Then let's see. Uh, one attack is an 11, which is going to miss probably, but the other one's a 21. 21. Uh, for another 12 points of magical bludgeoning and lightning damage. Nice. Does it get tiring to have to say that? Yes, it does. Yeah, I don't say it. I mean, do you, I know you don't. memorize the damage <laughs> that I do? No, I actually genuinely appreciate hearing all the types, to be honest. But, um, okay, so I guess that's the end of that. Uh, uh, and now it goes uh, after that onslaught. It is bloodied. It certainly is bloodied, and it does seem like it's backpedaling to get out of here. Um, okay, but now, Nice, there you go. Uh, You're like, Nova. Attacks. You said for what? Uh, for three more attacks. I thought you said four attacks. I'm like, what the fuck? How did you get a plus one? What the shit happened there? Is this a dwarf ability? No, nope. he just wants one. <laughs> yeah, right. He's going to shake it. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I'm pretty sure only one of those attacks are going to hit with a dirty 20. Yeah, that's what I was hoping for. I mean, right, uh, uh, this one is going to be uh, a goading attack. Don't you run away from me. Um, let's see. Uh, Technically, so, is yeah. a uh, construct. It's immune to such things. Well, I still get to do the extra damage. You sure do. At that point, the damage is more for you than anybody else. <laughs> it's I mean, just that's like... the whole purpose of any of these abilities, mostly. It's, it's one kind of cool thing, but hey, do extra damage. Yeah. All right, what you got, Goaty? Uh, 22 points of magical bludgeoning and lightning damage. You know, not bad. Not bad at all. It's really a shame that Kalika is going to come kill steal this from you. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I only had to spend, like, all of my uh, resources. I mean, you borderline single-handedly dropped it down there, but... Um, okay, it's going to go to Kalika and Tartharja. Alright. Let's see Top if round I three. can kill this. And don't have to do all the dragon stuff. All right. Uh, so can Are I you get into kill steal from Tartharja too? Yeah. Does your uh, hubris know no bounds? Can what I get the flanking with Norhill? Is that a thing? Uh, the overall distance uh, would prevent you from doing that. Can I get into melee? Tartharja yeah. probably can get into flanking. Yeah. If Tartharja is going to double move, by all means. Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Okay, cool. So Tartharja turbos and wraps it around to the other side of the uh, bird as it's trying to escape. Okay, but do so do I have flanking or? Yes, yes, you do. You okay, wrap it around okay. to the other side of it. Okay, that's a 25 to hit. And then I'll do my, we'll see if the thing kill dies. You know, don't you love it? Just being a dungeon master and hearing people calculate, like, well, if I guess if I kill it, I don't want to be too showy and too flashy about it. Well, I just don't want to have to roll a bunch of stuff again if I can help it. Uh, it must be exhausting. Roll a dice. Yeah. 
So 18, uh, 20, 27 damage. What did you hit with? Uh, booming blade and flicker. So I don't say that. That's the thing. You don't even say what you do. You're just like 27 damage. I'm like, what did you do? Did you announce that? Yeah, well, I guess that was what I was doing. So, <laughs> you know, I get strange reverberations to a certain memory of a game in person with you, Ryan, <laughs> where I asked Look, you what a man, certain thing it's, does. It's, it's just and it was like, Shadow it's Blade not going to change. I should have known. I'm, I'm not going to suddenly whip out a fucking quarter staff. Yeah, but you know, okay, anyway. So, how much damage? 27? Yeah. Okay, so this poor, innocent creature, this very innocent little flying metallic baby in the sky is cut down by the righteous, impetuous Klika. Um, yeah, Klika <laughs> figured out where all the weak points in these things' armor are, so as soon as Tassarja got into range behind it, she just jumps off Tassarja, scuttles up its back with her monkey feet, and puts it right into its neck. Digs flicker nice and deep. You hear a faint bone sound from inside the creature. Very she good. pulls flicker out as it drops beneath her, and she floats over to her dragon. And with that, the eagle crashes to the ground with a sickening thud, and the sound of a bunch of metal just clattering about the rocks and the rubble down below um, leads you to believe that you guys are now safe here on the mountainside. Um... With the, Lands uh, where Anton was before Norhill pushed him out of the way. Yeah, right. <laughs> and at this point, Anton just starts screeching, coming back from being stunned. <laughs> he just um, whacked himself with a healing spell. Mm-hmm. That okay. was extreme. Yeah, just imagine getting like a giant metal spike through your foot and then having to sit there for six whole seconds, not being able to scream or do anything else because someone screamed at you first. You know, nobody uh, said these things were very kind. They're not. Well, they're very specifically entirely amoral. That's the whole point. Well, you know, they're a construct. They've been programmed with one mentality. Anyway, so at this point, uh, the party are able to uh, sort of recoup. Out of curiosity, Norhill's going to pick up some of the scrap the scrap steel from these things, and you know, just looking at it, and he's not a smith or anything. Is it like good steel? Like, could this be used for things, or is it just like? Is it the tainted throw away metal? So. This is the scariest part of all. When you look over the metal in your hands, what used to be rusty and what used to be imperfect, as you sort of look around and see it and rub your hands over it, this is not rusty. And instead, this is like shining, like quicksilver, kind of like perfected steel. This is shining and radiant. And it almost seems like some of the purest steel that dwarves were ever able to smith. It almost seems as if the metal that these things are being made of is being perfected. And it almost feels as if the Herald of Steel, being the smith of sorts of these flying beasts and all the soldiers and everything, is slowly but surely, as I'm imagining Anton could probably surmise from seeing the quality too, Mm -hmm. it seems the Herald is taking to a new level of comfort 
in his status as a deific figure and almost seems like with the sundering spire becoming so much more like powerful and established that all of the metal that he is sort of working with is refining hardening and becoming that much more pure and the nightmare sort of takes over when you guys realize like even though these things are broken to pieces and destroyed these giant eagles look less like shambling piles of metal i mean now they do because you know crashed into the side of a mountain here but um they look so almost lifelike like i don't want to make a reference to transformers but like they look like like such a weird rendition of nature that before what used to be sort of like polygonic representations of it instead now they look like just again like almost perfected forms and i guess whatever implications you can derive from that start to sink in <clears throat> norville's gonna stash the steel plate that he picked up in his bag um and i suppose the party following the trail that Norhill knows very painfully from when you guys last traveled down here from the mountains. Over the next two days, the uh, party are able to camp out, hide out, and sort of stealthily advance to the city itself. And after having traveled through the uh, northern reaches of the Forest of the Wandering Swordsmen, the party realized that they're within a half day's travel on foot of the city of Eagleheart. And again... Seeing the metal floating in the sky above and hearing the humming of the spire in the distance, the sounds of footsteps clanking and clattering in the city, the sounds of the screeching, it seems as if your companions who had made their way down here either had one hell of a plan for getting in, or they are dead and assimilated somewhere within. And so, I guess we leave on the party making their plans for how to enter the city itself. Hey everyone, I want to thank you all for listening to another episode of the podcast. It really means a lot to me to have everybody listening in. And if you have anything you'd like to say, any comments or anything like that, shoot me a tweet over at ygrognard on Twitter, or you can even send me an email at youngbrognard at gmail.com. I look forward to everything you guys have to say, and it's always a pleasure to engage with anybody listening to the show. And as always, be sure to keep things... Dungeons. Dungeons.